Brothers and sisters, happy Sunday. Then happy new year. I used to get a little grouchy about that because this is the secular new year. Our new year began the first week of Advent, of course, as we all are very keen to set ourselves aside and celebrate only that new year. And I hope nobody had any fun or festivities last night. Uh, but I think that that's probably not the case. Uh, it is certainly not the case uh, for your pastor. But I wanted to start the year, I always try to start the new year with some kind of a special prayer or blessing. And so this year I'm going to begin and set my heart on the traditional Wesleyan prayer for the new year. All of our friends in the Wesleyan churches, the Methodist churches in that movement will all be praying this prayer uh, on this Sunday when they come together and worship. And even though we are not Wesleyans, uh, decidedly not, we will, uh, I thought it'd be nice to join them with this. And so would you join your hearts to mine as we pray, pray these words together. Holy God, I am no longer my own, but thine. Put me to what thou wilt. Rank me with whom thou wilt. Put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me be employed by thee or laid aside for thee. Exalted for thee or brought low for thee. Let me be full, let me be empty. Let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to thy pleasure and disposal. And now, O glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thou art mine and I am thine, so be it. And the covenant which I have made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen. One of my favorite authors currently writing books today is named China Mieville. He's an academic, he teaches at Oxford University, and he has written dozens of books, and they're all good in their own special way. But one of my favorites of his is called The City and the City. It's a kind of a potboiler detective novel, but it's set in a city that has been had an other, another city built on top of it. And so the two cities are enmeshed with each other, but none of their streets intersect, and none of their citizens can interact with each other. They speak different languages, they wear different clothes, and follow different customs. In fact, it is forbidden for any of these citizens to interact with the citizens of the other city. And so we have a city that is enmeshed within another city. And our poor detective has to solve a crime committed by a citizen of one city upon another citizen of the other city. It's a fascinating book. But the reason that I return to it year after year is because in it I find, and though I think that Mieville would probably be disappointed to know that I'm cribbing this for a sermon, an almost perfect description of the nature of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of mankind. The kingdom of God is at hand. These are the words that Jesus gives to the disciples, to the 70 that he sends, to all of the apostles, to go into the world, to heal the people who need healing, and to share the good news with them that the kingdom is at hand. And we're told to do the same. This is a great commission. It's given to us in the end of the Gospel of Matthew. But what does it mean to say to somebody that the kingdom of God is at hand? For many Christians, especially many Protestant Christians, when I use the phrase, the kingdom of God, they can think only of some distant future, some glorious new Jerusalem, perhaps coming down out of heaven, or heaven itself, this place that we might flit away to once the life's little day has drawn to its close. But it's not often that you meet Christians 
who walk into the world and say to themselves and to those around them, this is the kingdom of God. Because it doesn't feel that way often when we're out there in the world. It feels like we're in this mortal coil, trapped in suffering. We see suffering all around us. And it is to that suffering that Jesus sends us and gives us these words, the kingdom of God is at hand. Christmas time, I think, is when we get closest maybe to that feeling that we're someplace otherworldly. And I don't know if it's owing to our Christmas traditions or the shortness of the days or the sort of dreariness of the season, but it does feel as though something special happens. For this coming year, I want us to commit and covenant together to attending and watching for the kingdom of God out there in the world. And I'll give you a few pointers. But Isaiah is asking the same exact thing of the people who are to be watching for Jerusalem. The first thing that he tells them to do is to never keep silent. There's often this thread that is woven throughout the entire Hebrew Bible that if we want God's attention, we need to make some noise. We need to show up. We need to tell God what we want. Later on, Jesus Christ gives us this curious parable of the unjust judge and the, and the, the widow who just hassles the judge all day until the judge finally caves in and gives her what she wants. Well, that's a very, that would be a very Jewish understanding of our relationship with God. God needs to hear from us. Later on in the Reformed traditions, we learn how to pray the collect together, and that's a very simple way to pray to God. You simply state who you're praying to. That's important, because there's a lot of gods out there. You don't want to get it to the wrong one. I'm kidding. But it is important to describe to God why we're praying to God. State what you want, and then explain why you should get it. And then close with the words of Jesus. That last part there, explain why you should get it, that's very important. Because you think of the child who says, you know, mom, dad, I want a bike for Christmas. And you say, why do you want a bike for Christmas? They might say, well, because Billy's got a bike. And that's not a good reason to get a bike. <laughs> Likewise with God. But the child says, I want to get a job delivering newspapers or whatever children deliver now. They don't deliver newspapers or phone books. But whatever it is, and you might say, well, that'd be some productive use of your time. And so, yes, you ought to have that thing. Likewise, when we as children of God go to God in prayer, we should say what it is that we want and need, but we should explain why we ought to have it. One of the best reasons I've given to God to get that which I might need, as we just heard in this prayer from Wesley, is to simply say to God, so I can reflect your light into the world. I think that this year, what I'm going to be asking for is a vision of the kingdom of God at hand in this city so that I can share it with those I meet around me. When we turn on the news or God help us look at social media or Facebook or something, we're drawn to those stories of calamity and catastrophe, sadness and pain, hurt and sorrow. And it is good to know what's happening, especially locally. My metric for news media consumption is 80-10-10. I spend 80% of my attention on local news, 10% on national, and 10% on global. It keeps me sane. Local issues are often things that we can ourselves go out and fix. But also, I think that this year we owe it to ourselves to look for those miracles, for those wonderful stories of hope, redemption, light, and life that are blossoming out and, as Isaiah reminds us, are in oftentimes the dark places in our world. Those are the medicine that will carry us through to the end of this coming year. 
in the city, and the city, our protagonist, the uh, detective, he has to go to some very strange places, places where his city intersects with this strange city that he's never visited before, even though they're right in the same spot. And he steps across that line into this other place that occupies the exact same geographical location, but that he's never seen before in his life. It's a bizarre experience for him. And I think of the Christian pilgrim who is walking the path of Jesus, the narrow path of Jesus, one foot in this world and one foot in the kingdom of God, and never knowing which foot will be in which place when he takes the next step. This year, I want to spend my time and my pilgrimage walking in the kingdom of God as much as possible. So that when I say to those around me, the kingdom of God is at hand, I know I'm telling them the truth. I'm not just giving them empty promises. Isaiah says that we should constantly remind God of what we want, why we ought to get it. And if we can do this, then we will be called, sought out, a city not forsaken. Sought out. In religious traditions around the world, going back thousands of years, tens of thousands of years, the journey of the religious person is to seek God, to climb to the top of a mountain, maybe find some angry wizard sitting up there, or to delve to the depths of the darkest earth in some cave and try to find our birth story, our origin. But it is very uncommon, very uncommon, to encounter religious traditions that encourage people to allow themselves to be found by God, rather than attempting to find God. Isaiah is telling us today, don't go on some great and grand epic quest or adventure to find God, but allow yourself to be found by God. Surrender. Let God find you. You're a little kid. You're lost in the shopping mall. Your impulse is to start to run around. And that's the wrong thing to do. You need to allow yourself to be found by a grown-up or your parents, whoever took you to the mall in the first place, to be sought out, the redeemed of the Lord. It's not easy. So much of our lives seems to be this endless cycle of want. For many uh, uh, post-continental philosophers, they talk about this theory, uh, Lacan and Zizek talk about it as... Um, we want to want. It's not so much that we want things, but here in the West, especially and under capitalism, we get meaning out of wanting to want things. When we stop wanting to want things, we kind of surrender to who we are. And that's no, that's no way to build a good brand identity or increase profit margins year after year. Uh, they want us to want things. But to surrender, rather, and to allow ourselves to be sought out by God is, I think, to be gently guided back into the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of miracles here on earth. One time I served a very small church in a little bitty town out in the sticks in Tennessee. It was in oh, the sort of northwest Tennessee. The nearest city of any measure was Jackson, which was an hour and a half away. Very small town. And I journeyed with them for about a year and a half during this interim process. The town was called Paris, Tennessee. And I'll never forget that place or those people. 
If I had a million sermons, I couldn't recount to you all of the miracles that I saw in that place. And I think that I was able to see them because I was an outsider. For the people in that community of 800, it was just the way things always were. But for me, in this very rural, rock-ribbed Republican little town of Paris, Tennessee, they couldn't see the miracles anymore because they'd grown accustomed to them. Very first Sunday I was at this church. It was a youth group party after worship, a pizza party. They're happening right now. Pizza parties and youth groups go hand in hand. But I went down there and I saw these teenagers and they were working on this really beautiful, intricate birthday card made out of cardboard and they were coloring it and they were writing encouraging words and Bible verses. I said, wow, somebody's got a big birthday coming up. And they said, yeah, it's Michael's birthday. I said, well, who's, who's Michael? I'm like, can I meet him? And they're like, no, no, he doesn't go to our church. He's a student at our high school. Um, he's the only student who has Down syndrome in our school. And so every year, we make a really big deal out of his birthday because he really loves it. And I was absolutely floored. Because here in this little town of Paris, Tennessee, I was seeing something take place that I'd never seen anywhere before. I saw a group of high school students, not, prone, not particularly prone to kindness, if you know a lot of high school students, who had made an effort to make this child feel so special and so blessed. That was an absolute miracle, right out of the pages of the New Testament. Likewise, in this town, they had no real social safety net to speak of. There wasn't much of a local government or municipal body. There was very little uh, social support, but there was poverty in this town. And to address it, each year they would come together and have a big craft sale. The whole village would turn out for this craft sale. And I thought, oh, well, I'll go to this thing and you know, maybe find some interesting ch chess pie. It was the thing they made out. It's really good. But in the back of my head, I'm thinking, how are you going to sell crafts and make enough money to support people in this really brutal economic recession that we find ourselves in? And I hung out and I watched. And at the end, uh, towards the end, they were doing the pie auction. And I think at this point, they'd come up with maybe $1,500 or so or something like that. And then I saw it was just an apple pie. Someone's aunt who was there in attendance made and they were bidding Bidding got up to $10. I thought, my God, that's got to be some fancy pie. $10 for a pie. And then the next bid came in at 50 And the next bid came in at 150 And then the next bid on this pie was $1,000. These people bid themselves up to $22,000 for that one pie. And there it was. The kingdom of God. Right there at hand. Right there. As they bid thousands of dollars on it ordinary apple pie to support their little community kitty. So if we allow ourselves to be present, to be sought out, if we allow ourselves to truly believe in our heart that out there are prophets, judges, angels, out there are healers and disciples and apostles and all of these figures that we find in the Bible that are out there alive today doing miracles, we will suddenly find ourselves walking in the kingdom of God. And I think that that is so important if we're going to be called the people of hope. Christians have a tremendous responsibility in this world. Christians are supposed to be the people 
who when everything is going wrong and nothing seems to be going right, who in the face of tremendous adversity, cruelty, and pain, who when everyone around us says, why would you ever be hopeful? Be a cynic. That's, what, that's the safe bet. Christians have the responsibility to say no. We are hopeful. Tomorrow will be brighter. The days will get better. The world will be healed and made whole. Bonds will be forged and we shall be called sought out. A city not forsaken. That's an awesome responsibility and it is incredibly hard. But to carry out that responsibility faithfully, I think that the healthiest thing that we can do when we go out there into the mission field is to see with our eyes open the beautiful kingdom of God at hand and to witness those little miracles popping off like fireworks all around us, all the time, and then be unafraid to say, see, right there, that's it. That's the kingdom of God. It's at hand. Do you see it? To allow us to be a reflection of that light and glory to all of those who are around us. And I also think it's a pretty pleasant way to get through this world, which can be fraught and difficult. Kinfolk, for this year, my prayer is that I will be still, allow God to find me, and then show me how to walk in the kingdom of God. And then I promise to you, to me, and to God that I will share those miracles when I see them. I will use my gifts to proclaim that this world is a place of deep and abiding goodness and that we are all truly children of God. Amen.